Hi, I'm Lisette Diaz. In a world so full of doubt and sin, it's so easy to lose faith. If you feel like you've lost touch with your faith and you need something to bring you back in, this is where you need to be. Let's go on a journey to reclaim your faith. Here is Faithless. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Faithless. Again, my name is Lisette Diaz and I am your host for Faithless. This podcast radio show is really all about, you know, making sure that we have the tools that we need to face all the struggles we have in our daily lives and be able to, you know, just meet them up front and have those tools to fight back and rekindle our faith, especially when times get really rough. So we've been on this journey discovering different characters from the Bible. And today I want to go over Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the first two people in the Bible, right? God created Adam first, and then he created Eve. And fun fact, if you go to the Bible in Genesis, uh, the first book of Genesis is, is pretty much the creation story. There's actually two creation stories. After the first chapter in the book of Genesis, the second chapter is another version of the same thing. But they both, they're both very similar, but, they're, but they both have their own differences, which leaves us to think, which is the correct one? Like, how do we know what, what's the right one? Which one is, is the wrong one? Or are they both true? And if they're both true, how can the same thing have happened in two different ways? Isn't there one set way? So this is a question that throws a lot of people off. And there are, there are two creation stories in the Bible. And I want you to think of it like this. If you think about Native Americans, Native Americans and different cultures have different ways of explaining the natural world around them. When I was teaching world history at one point, I told my students to come up with a story of how the world received its first rainstorm. So they had to come up with um, a story about how these goddesses and gods had this battle and this goddess lost her son and because she lost her son she wept and wept and the tears that fell from her from her face became the first rainstorm so this is the way that they kind of tried going into this other culture and and explaining events in the natural world around them using things that they already knew about so something similar happened with the ancient Jewish community, the ancient people of God. They had to start somewhere, you know, we all have to start somewhere. So this was their way of explaining how God created the world. And there is a lot of, there is truth to it. They, all of it is true, but not in the way that a lot of us think it is. And so today's big conversation is religion versus science. The science says that it was four point something billion years ago that the world was created by a big bang and it just exploded and it, it exploded into millions of pieces and it's just the gravity of it and, and the the forces around it force things to kind of go into this spiral and things just kind of fell into an orbit, stars formed and the constant act of spinning in a circle and and that gravity formed by the spinning of each 
if each, I guess, primitive planet um, gave it that, that spherical shape, which is why a lot of things in space, when you see they're all circular, is because that pressure that is coming from all the different angles from their constant spinning. Um, and then the Earth had the perfect mixture and distance from the sun, so mixture of ingredients and distance from the sun that it could create life. And from there, we had... Uh, you know, molecules, RNA molecules that, well, this is, and this is still a theory, scientists aren't totally sure about it, but RNA particles um, that were able to self-replicate and um, over millions of years, they kept evolving in their own different ways to create the species we know today as mammals, and they, they first created dinosaurs and then, well, first plants and then animals like we know them, and, and little by little, you know, it came the dinosaurs, then came us as primates, you know, but before the human species was there, we had um, all these other species of, of primates like Australopithecus afarensis, which was a pre uh, predecessor to our modern human, Homo erectus, a Neanderthal, um, a ne Homo neanderthalensis, which was Neanderthals, um, and all these different species, which is eventually what led to our species today, Homo sapiens. And so scientifically, this is what we see in the evolution of life on Earth. This is very legitimate. We do have a lot of evidence for this. A lot of people argue that you can't see it happening, so it must not be true. We actually can see it happening in a lot of microbes and bacterial colonies that can replicate so quickly. Actually, do evolve, and this is why you should never take more than your antibiotic tells you to. So it was a little bit of a science lesson for a lot of us, but then we, we look at the Bible, and the Bible says that God created the world in seven days, and that each day he had a task, and that when that task was finished, he went on to the next one, he said it was good, on to the next one, and then by the end he created man, and he created woman, and then he rested on the seventh day. And a lot of the arguments that come forth to evolutionary theorists uh, from a lot of faithful people is that how can the world be four point something billion years old when the Bible strictly says it was made in seven days? So either scientists are lying or our entire faith is a joke. And that's the thing that scares a lot of people. And that's why some people fight to the death about this, because they feel like my faith can't be wrong. I've experienced God on so many levels. How can you tell me that what I believe is wrong when the Bible clearly states seven days, right? Well, this is a challenge that I have for you. My biggest issue with that argument is that how dare you limit God to seven days? In the Bible, it says that God's time is not our time. A second in our time might be a million years in God's time. And a second in God's time might be a million years in our time. See, God is a transcendent being. And transcendent means that he is beyond time. He is beyond space. He is beyond our reality. We have created time to determine the sequence of events that happen in our lives and our aging and our things. But our experience of time is, is not relevant to God. God doesn't get limited by our perception of the world. 
If he did, he wouldn't be God. Because God can, like I said, transcend. He can get through all of that. He is God. So that's the first thing we have to remember. We can't limit God to our human capabilities and to our human understanding. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to understand. I get it. But if we really understood God, would he still be God? No, because because then we would we would know him. We would understand him and we could be just like him. And and that just wouldn't make any sense. Why would I worship something that I can copy and I can be just like? You know, I can do everything he does. So why should I worship him? So that's the question that creates. And I, I need you to understand that we do not limit God. We cannot put limits on God, especially limits with time, because God can do amazing things. And he is beyond our perception of time. Knowing this, we can look at the seven days in Genesis and realize that, yeah, he created the heavens above and land and water, but that could have all happened in millions of years. That doesn't mean that just because it says in the Bible in one day, it couldn't have happened in millions of years, you know? It's just, it's a, it's a matter of seeing things from God's point of view and then applying it to what we know. And we use science and we use our human knowledge to explain the world around us. And God has given us this these abilities to discover the world around us, not to limit him and to prove him wrong, but to expose his beautiful magnificence. How amazing is our God? That every little thing in our planet is so precisely calculated that it fits like pieces of a puzzle. Every single species serves a purpose in the food chain. And if one species is lost, the whole food chain can fall apart. So how amazing is God that, that all the science that we've discovered, all these beautiful things, we still haven't figured everything out. And he has. And in his time, it might have been a day. But in our time, it may have been millions and billions of years. And that's okay. Just because you can't measure it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Just because you can't measure it doesn't mean that he's any less of a god. So that's the first thing. <laughs> Science versus religion. A lot of people get really, really uncomfortable about it because they say, well, I can't prove it. So how does that even happen? Well, going back to the story of Adam and Eve. Right, he created Adam and Eve, um, and we're not going to get into if he really did create Adam first and Eve later. That's not important. <laughs> the fact is that he created man and woman, and he created them for love. And a lot of people, when you talk to them about the story of Adam and Eve, and let's let's go over that really quick. You know, Adam and Eve were totally fine. They were chilling. They were hanging out. God told them, hey, look, all this is yours. You've got, like, waterfalls. You've got these cool mountains. You've got these cool trees and fruits and animals. And you're the boss of all of it. Just don't eat from that tree. Everything else, you're good. You can do whatever you want. But don't eat from that tree. Okay? Okay. That's like telling a toddler, don't eat the chocolate. Bucky Bungo. You can play with everything else. You can have everything else, but don't eat the chocolate. They're going to go for the chocolate. So God was kind of, you know, giving them the opportunity to be trusted. And and they had no perception of right or wrong. They were just happy. You know, think about an animal. How, I'm not saying that we were animals or that Adam and Eve were animals. <laughs> but 
think about it like an animal. They have no perception of right and wrong. They're just, they have instincts and they go for it and they just, you know, they're happy. They have food chains and, and they're just chilling. So that's the way we kind of were. We just had domain over all this land in paradise. And, and then Eve passed by the tree. She wasn't going to eat from it because she knew God told her not to. But the snake came from the tree. And the snake told her to eat from the tree and that God was lying to her. He didn't want her to be like him. She decided that she was going to eat from it because the snake pulled her into it. And then she had this epiphany, I guess you could say. And she went to Adam and said, hey, dude, you should probably eat from this. This is pretty cool. And he did. Now, there's a lot of things happening in the story. And then, well, and then afterwards, God got really upset. And he sent them down to earth and told them from this moment on, Eve, you will experience the pain of childbirth. So before that, she did not have to experience pain of childbirth. Life was happy. We didn't have to wear pants. We didn't have to have pain during childbirth. It was great till Eve messed it all up. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. And then um, Eve, and then he told Adam, you're going to work all the days of your life. You're going to work hard and you're going to, the sweat from your brow and the blood is going to pay for, you know, to keep your family alive, pretty much. So you're going to work all the days of your life. You're going to have to work hard in order to make a living. When people read the story, they're like, man, that God is hardcore, <laughs> you know? Um, and some people have a really twisted view of this theology. Now, let's start with the snake. Who is the snake? Well, obviously, the snake is Lucifer. And Lucifer, uh, a lovely creature, he, he actually is absolutely gorgeous. He's beautiful because Lucifer it was the angel of light and he was the right-hand man of God and he sinned because he thought he was better than God. He had this pride that he didn't want to let go of and so he ended up being in um, being cast from heaven. Not for lack of trying because God did try but he didn't want to have it any other way so he um, there was this huge divide and some angels chose to go with Lucifer and some stayed with God and and so those that chose to go with Lucifer were now became demons. And, and so Lucifer had this, this beef with God, you could say. He had this, this angst with God because he thought he was better. And he said, oh, I see this creation you've made. You know what? I'm going to mess this up for you. And so he went over there and he knew what the tree held because he'd eaten from that tree. He knew that the tree's fruit held knowledge about good and evil. And that the tree's fruit created consciousness. And you knew that you were naked. And you knew all these things about yourself that before weren't even important. But he's like, I'm going to ruin this for everybody. So he told Eve to eat from the fruit. And so what was the first sin? Most people, when you talk to them, will tell you that the first sin was disobedience. She was disobedient to God. And actually, that isn't the first sin. The first sin is that she didn't trust God. She chose to trust the snake. And the devil is cunning. The devil is smart. He's been there since before our existence. And he didn't come up to her and say, oh, you know, you should just eat from it. He's lying to you. And he didn't try to brainwash her. No. Instead, he went up to her and said, hmm, I wonder why he won't let you eat from the tree. He cast doubt in her heart. He cast mistrust in her heart. He's smart. 
He didn't have to do anything much after that. Once she doesn't trust God anymore, all he has to do is tell her, just go ahead and eat it. See what happens. I mean, how bad can it really be? You can eat everything else here, so what's, what's so bad about this tree? After that, it's easy. But once he said, hmm, I wonder why, that's all she needed. That's all we need. Most times. <laughs> so the first sin was mistrust, diso not mistrusting God, not trusting God. From there, we look at um, Adam, who came in and, and ate from the fruit as well. And, you know, she probably cast the same mistrust on him because of what the snake had said. Then God comes into the picture, and, and the woman and the man are, are covered, and they realize that they're naked. And, and he says to them, who told you that you were naked? And then they fess up, and, and they're like, oh, we ate from the tree. And the man says, but she made me do it. The woman you gave me gave me the fruit from the tree. So what was his sin? He put the blame on somebody else. He didn't own up. You ate from the tree too. I don't force it down your throat. You ate it. So he didn't fess up and own up that he made a mistake. None of them, neither of them said, we made a mistake. We ate from the tree and we're so sorry. Neither of them said that. Instead, they put the blame on each other. They put the blame on the snake. And then they just left it at that. I'm pretty sure if they would have said, I'm sorry, God would have forgiven them because God is forgiving and loving. But instead, since they put the blame on someone else, there's not much God can do with a tainted heart if the person isn't sorry for what they've done. So to the snake, he said that a woman, since he made a woman sin, a woman would come down and step on his head and defeat him forever. And that woman was Mary, our virgin mother the mother of God. She came and she gave birth to Christ and raised him in this holy way and stepped on the head of the snake. And then he said to the female that she would have pain during childbirth. And he said to the male that he would have to work all the days of his life. And then he kicked them out of heaven. He kicked them out of paradise. Now this sounds a lot like a punishment, but let me offer this perspective. Sometimes we think of things that happen in our lives as punishment when really they're blessings in disguise. And in this case, this is a blessing in disguise because here is this woman and this man, these beautiful beings that God has created in his own image, and they have sinned. They don't understand what it is to love. Think about when you're raising a child. Sometimes you can give them all they want, but what does that raise? that raise entitled, raises entitled children that get whatever they want and they don't understand the value of hard work, right? That's what happens with children when you just give them everything. You want, oh, you want another five donuts? Here, go ahead, have another five donuts. And then the next thing you know, the, the poor child has diabetes because you haven't, you just gave him everything he wants. So that's not good for the child. You got to do what's best for the child. So you say, no, you can have one more donut and that's it. We'll have more donuts tomorrow. And, and so that's what happens when you parent. This is what happened with God. He, they didn't understand the value of love. They didn't understand how much he loved. They didn't understand how hard it is to bring and keep all of this knowledge that they now have that really it was just a burden to their hearts. And so he said, unfortunately, the only thing I can do to help you be healthy spiritually and to help you grow and love like I do 
is to give you pain during childbirth and make you work hard all the days of your life. Now think about it like this. A mother, if you've ever had children and you look at your child and and a lot of mothers, you know, some of them have have some health issues and, and they have some things like postpartum depression that they need help with. And that's okay. You know that you go through these processes in life and that's all right. But most mothers, when they look at their newborn child, it's love. I remember I spent the first 24 hours after my first son was born sobbing over how upset I was at myself for being mad that I had gotten pregnant so quickly after we got married and I didn't get to finish my studies. I was sobbing. I was so full of regret and so full of pain because how could I have never known that this kind of love existed, that I would just do anything for him and he's only 24 hours old. That immense love that grows deeper and deeper every day when you're a parent, it just, it never goes away. It's a love that you can't even explain. It's just so intense. And for fathers, you know, you give up everything. Who cares about your dreams? Now we've got to feed a family. Who cares about your dreams? Your wife is sick. Your children are hungry. You're going to go work your butt off and try to make sure that you make some money so that you can feed your family. Or you're going to go work the fields and grow some food, have some cows, you know, slaughter the cow, cook it so that your family can, you know, men, your role in the family is as a provider, as a leader, as a protector. These roles are just so important. And when you work so hard for your family, there's nothing that, that can take that love away from that. And, and you work so hard that you realize the worth and the value of your family. And I think this is what God was trying to do and what God was trying to show us. Not a punishment, but an eye-opening experience that would help us understand the depth and the intensity of his love for us. So I challenge you to look at God in that way, as a perfect father. And if you think your love for your child could never be matched, you are wrong. Because in the way that you love your child, God loves each and every one of us even more intensely. So the story of Adam and Eve, these two people from the Bible, have shown us that it's not about punishment. It's not about, you know, being right or wrong. It's just about admitting that, you know, I made a mistake. You know, I, I shouldn't have done that. Or it's just... And then God just trying to show them that it's okay. Like, I just want you to love. I just want you to understand how much I love you. And, and him doing his best to show us what that feels like. Let's not look at God as a tyrant. Let's look at God as a father, as the perfect father. So let's pray together before we finish this episode and really think deeply into your hearts about all these loving experiences that you've had in your life. And try to think of God in that way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for being a perfect Father for us. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we don't even understand how to be perfect parents ourselves. And we try. And sometimes we judge our own parents for things that they've done without remembering that they're human too. And they're just trying to understand the same plan that you have for us, Lord. They're just still trying to understand your perfect love and replicate it. Our parents are not perfect, but they're trying. 
They're trying their best with all the love they have in their hearts. And Lord, we ask you to help us forgive any pains that we have from our parents growing up, any things that, that we hold in our hearts as regret or anger and resentment for our parents when sometimes, you know, it's, they're doing their best. And as parents, for all of us that are parents, Lord, please enlighten our minds. Help us be a good parent like you and, and help us take it easy when we don't get it right. Help us take it easy when we don't get it right and when we feel like we've totally failed as parents. Lord, we also ask you to open our minds and help us understand that the world that we live in, even though it's very critical and and has so much cynicism towards you, that we don't let it affect our way of thinking of you because you are perfect. And in our minds, let everything that is discovered in this planet be another way of worshiping your glory, and your greatness, Lord. We ask you to protect us this week as we go on about our lives and work and survive. And help us every moment try to think of you and your love for us and the purpose of things going on in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for everything. We praise your name forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me today in this episode of Faithless. I hope that it was a little bit enlightening for you, and and I hope that you find it something that can change your life in a positive way. Stay tuned to Faithless. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Again, this is Lisette Diaz. May God bless you and yours always.